0: I'm not willing to compromise my health, my mental or physical well-being again for any sort of metric of success. I, it was like I was walking around having lost like an outer layer of skin. Like I was exposed and vulnerable and everything was louder and everything was scarier.
1: Hi, my name is John O'Driscoll, and you are very welcome to the Blueprint Podcast. Ask yourself one question. Have you a blueprint for success? Are you doing all you can do to get where you want to be? Join me and my guests each week as we discuss their blueprint for success. Please drop us a like or a follow wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify, Apple, Google, and please give us a five out of five star rating. It does really help. Thank you so much. So this week's episode is with Caroline Foran. Caroline's a best-selling author, public speaker, and her podcast, Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast, has now gone through 7.5 million downloads, which is incredible. So I'm really glad to have her on. And Caroline, thanks so much for joining me on the Blueprint Podcast.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's um, an honor to be here.
1: Caroline, I suppose, where to start? You're a woman of many talents. You've written three books. Your podcast is downloaded on a weekly basis, by thousands of people, and you've really opened a pe- people's eyes, I think, to anxiety, person development, and I suppose maybe the the, the changes that people incur when they become a, a new parent. Mm-hmm. If I met you and asked you to describe exactly what you do, what would you say?
0: It's perhaps my least favorite question because. <laughs> I feel at times like a jack of all trades, master of none. Um, I, in a in a very unsophisticated way, would say I often just throw shit at a wall and see what sticks. Um, I have somewhat of an entrepreneurial spirit, but I'm also quite lazy. And I'm yeah, multi-hyphenate, I think, is probably the best um, bit, notions-y way of describing it. So I just, I started out in media and journalism, worked my way up and really had ambitions to work for myself and after having had a really hard time with my mental health that just felt like something I had to write about and talk about so it happened very organically and then from there it's just growing with the changing landscape of new technology and you know it working for social media it working for a podcast I've done lots of traditional broadcasting tv and radio been on all the shows um and having a real sense of um I suppose my, my principles or my manifesto around what I'm here to do, um, which is to normalize anxiety and mental health difficulties. Um, especially in, I really feel strongly about it in the professional space because there's often this misconception that, you know, you can't have one if you're going to have the other, you can't be vulnerable and successful or professional. And if anything, the opposite has been true for me and, um, a willingness to be vulnerable and explore what you perceive as your weaknesses and can actually bring much greater connections in the workplace and um helps you reach solutions quicker and um just that human connection piece which I think was missing from the workplace for so long uh so so yeah I I talk about anxiety I write about it and then on my own social media I'm very interested in just lots of general life stuff like interiors I had I set up an interiors business recently and with my friend and then When I had my baby, I just had, I had my finger in too many pies and very limited time. And so I had to kind of streamline and say, right, I'm just going to go back to basics of my anxiety podcast, writing. Uh, I've written some columns for decent magazines and stuff. And now... As you know, you kindly subscribed. I've gone down the Substack route, which I think is a brilliant platform for um, connecting directly with your audience and kind of cutting out the middlemen. And then there's always in the background, there's always some books in the works. But I haven't done anything bookwise for a while. And I'm, try- I'm trying to land on the right thing. Actually, something I'm I have on submission is some kids' books.
1: The owning it podcast, um, I suppose you very much put yourself out there because it talks about anxiety and about how you dealt with anxiety, and it's grown to be a massive success and getting a podcast audience can be difficult how have you grown it over the years is it just consistency you know you're as is, is it 12 seasons you're on at the yeah. moment
0: yeah i think there's a few things that were at play i think my timing was good even though i didn't realize it myself um the market wasn't completely saturated with podcasts at the time it was relatively new in ireland and certainly as far as brands were concerned over here it there was not money being put into podcasts here. So when they did start to wake up to it, I was kind of there, ready and ripe for the picking. Um, I had come off the back of my first, well, my all my books, no, sorry, my my two books were out, and they had both been international bestsellers, which is a very fancy way of saying they were so they were bestsellers here and they were available to buy in other countries. It doesn't mean they're bestsellers in other countries, but these <laughs> are the little taglines you uh you latch onto for marketing purposes for optics. So I had that bit of credibility, I suppose. Um to say look you know from the best-selling author of blah 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 which did really well here is the podcast version I felt like the nature of what I was doing lended itself really well to the podcast format because I know myself when my anxiety was really bad sometimes the idea of getting stuck into a really heavy book would maybe be counterproductive so if you can be out for a walk strolling and listening and having that human connection if you can hear the emotion in my voice or the emotion of my guests Mm. um, and if things can be yeah I just think it's a format that really works for People who are feeling that way because there's um another thing that worked for me is that I think there is an urgency about it. You know, when when people are feeling that anxious, they need to know what they can do now, and they will jump on it. Um, and at the time, we were really only getting going on scratching the surface of these mental health discussions. Um, there wasn't anything really like it. It was super niche. I think the other podcasts at the time were kind of news related or comedy related or celebrity-based, um, and what stood to me was really honing in on this podcast is to help listeners and myself better understand and manage their anxiety, and I've never lost sight of that. I'm thinking, okay, great, you might have an interesting story, or might this might go off in a couple of tangents, but what is the listener going to take from this that's going to help them understand something a bit more maybe they hadn't understood, feel that they can relate to, feel seen, heard, validated, um, and is there something in it that they can practically take, take to help and manage their own experience? even though I haven't really been niche in much else. You know, my my social media is so all over the place and it, that goes against you in some ways. Being niche with the podcast has really worked in my favor and just slowly tipping away at it. When it comes to the seasons and stuff, it's just a matter of I would do maybe 10 or 12 episodes and I think, okay, I'm, I'm running out of steam here and I would just stop for a little while and then I'd start again and I'd just call it a new season. There was never really any strategy in place, but I thought that going doing a podcast every single week, I would run out of steam and I would maybe the quality would dip. And I'm sure it has at some points as well. And I certainly never, I thought I'd maybe get two seasons out of it. I thought this is the conversation that will begin and end because I will reach the amount of things that you can say about it. And I still to this day think, how am I still getting away with this? Like people are listening. I'm still finding more things to talk about. Um, And I, when I go and look at my stats, you know, see people tuning in and it's, it's almost nothing to do with my social media, which is lovely. It's Mm -hmm. people have just subscribed and I'll set it live on Sunday at midnight. So I'll wake up in the morning and there'll be like thousands of downloads already from Australia and other parts of the world where they're awake. And I, I can't understand how these people have found me, but I guess some of it's to do with maybe just people looking for anxiety podcasts and just that's because I've done well, it comes up. And once you start to do well, it's kind of self-perpetuating. And I was afraid to rely on it for a long time in any sort of financial way. It could just all disappear at any moment. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm what I do have still is I'm like still deeply passionate about it. And I get very excited about the conversations that I have. And I really do keep drawing back to the person that I was when my anxiety was so bad thinking what did that girl need to hear? What would have helped her? And had I really believed, had I known then what I know now, I never would have suffered to the extent that I did. Yeah, I think timing, luck and consistency and the market, there was opportunity for me there at the time. Um, and and like from the kind of, I know that might not be relevant, from the money side of it, like even though my podcast has grown and grown, the revenue doesn't necessarily, because now there are so many more podcasts and there's still the same advertising pots there so the brands they don't have necessarily more money they're just spreading it thinner across mm. all the podcasts who do well
1: imposter syndrome is a an often spoken about phenomenon that people are supposed to kind of relating to has there ever been that with you when you were like how this podcast got seven and a half minute downloads
0: yeah all the time i mean every day and even when I do interviews or anything like that, and like the way you describe me coming on, I'm like, "Who's he talking about?" And I feel like a fraud, and that's not true. And and you can just, like I said about the international best selling book, you can just pull these things, and it can sound like I'm, you know, quite impressive, and I'm yeah. sitting here in my tracksuit bottoms. <laughs> um, no, I definitely have had a lot of imposter syndrome especially when it came to the books and stuff, because I was not a traditional expert. Like I didn't go to college and become a psychologist. I was drawing from my own experience. But what I do think I can do, what I'm getting more confident about is distilling the expert info into something that a person like me who was really struggling can digest Mm. and making sense of it and putting a human spin on it and simplifying things. I feel so self-taught at this point in understanding the human brain and the psychology and anxiety. And when I'm interviewing these like world renowned Ted talking guests, what, when they're saying it to me, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, And it's kind of, it's encouraging that, okay. Or I'm saying something to them and they're like, you're exactly right. That kind of gives me, it kind of helps with the imposter syndrome a bit that I definitely like I understand it and I'm well read on the subject. Um, but I always have to caveat things that, you know, by saying I'm not an expert, um, I am just a writer and a, I guess you could say, journalist who who is bridging that gap between the experts and the listener or the reader. Um, and yeah, but over time, it's gotten better. Like the imposter syndrome has definitely gotten better. I feel like I just, I'm a bit more, maybe just getting a bit older, I'm a bit more sure that actually I've been doing this for a really long time now. Sometimes I do have to realize, actually, maybe I am I am good at something. But I think it's an, it's quite an Irish thing to be like never getting ahead of yourself and um, unfortunately putting yourself down. Like certainly I find LinkedIn helpful for making me have to portray myself in a confident way, you know? So like it's more appropriate there to go on and say, I've had quarter of a million downloads in the last month, check out the podcast and have that instead of just saying, here's my little shitty podcast and listen to it if you want to, but don't if you think it's shit. Like I have to be like, no, here it is. It's worth listening to And that helps me if I kind of step into that voice that helps the imposter syndrome kind of feck off a bit.
1: Has the confidence that you've gained from the success you've had helped with your anxiety?
0: Yeah, Um, I think so. I'm not sure if it's indirectly or just because I just got better anyway. And I understand so much more now Um, and I think I worked really hard to carve out a space where I say I can be vulnerable and still professional. And if I go to give a talk, it's easier for me because the nature of what I'm talking about is anxiety and vulnerability. So I can joke at the irony of me getting up here and talking in front of, you know, a hundred people when I'm like, did you not read the title of the book? Like this is the last thing I'd want to do. And that kind of softens the, disarms the audience and it disarms me a little bit as well. Mm. And so I think being able to feel like I deserve to be here and I can exist and I have something to offer and I can achieve things in spite of my anxiety or I can bring it along with me. That has helped massively. So it's not about getting rid of anxiety, but if and when it does pop up, I really am like, okay, there you are. Like, what are you what are you telling me? One of the best things I've figured out with anxiety is is for so long it was what is anxiety saying about me? Oh, it's saying I'm weak. It's saying I'm not good enough. I'm not capable There's something wrong with me. And now it's well, instead of saying what's it saying about me, what is this anxiety saying to me? It's saying, you might be pushing it too much right now. Mm. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that's not serving you well. Maybe you need a break. Maybe you need to step back. Maybe there's something that you really care about that's weighing on you. It's not me. It's the anxiety. And if the anxiety comes up, there's a reason for it. And it's actually there to help me. Just those kind of mindset shifts and not feeling like I have to be another way has dissolved the anxiety down to almost nothing. I can get anxious about things that I think anyone could get anxious about, but I don't feel like I carry it with me all the time anymore um but if and it does it does still pop up and if it does i don't see that as oh i've gone backwards or anything i think the success of it of owning the anxiety is not being afraid of feeling it but knowing that when it does come i know what to do this is telling you something that you need to pay attention to a lot of confidence has come from that
1: i created this podcast because i have an interest in personal development in sport and entrepreneurship. So I wanted to basically create a podcast deal with those three things.
0: Can I help you on the sports side of things?
1: No, I was going <laughs> to say, but you can definitely, th- you can definitely take the box on the entrepreneurship and personal development. Anyone who's self-employed um, and has multiple, I suppose, income streams like yourself or multiple business interests, there's an entrepreneurial spirit there. Where does that come from, would you say?
0: I don't have any ambition of working that hard. And I think it's because of what I went through with my mental health. I'm not willing to compromise my health, my mental or physical well-being again for any sort of metric of success that would compromise it. Do you know what I mean? Like we're so focused on money, power and all these things. But to me, the ultimate metric is is my well-being. Am I feeling well? Am I able to sleep at night? Do I have a pain in my chest? Am I able to enjoy the time that I have? Am I making the best use of my time? So that's what motivates me. And I I think that's probably where people become a bit more savvy and entrepreneurial. It's like, how can I make this work without me working 70 hours a week? What can I do? How can I leverage what I've already done? How can I put something in motion that will kick off some sort of passive income? So using laziness to your advantage. And also, I, I really wanted, even before I became a parent, I wanted to be my own boss. I wanted... In case I ever, I guess it was kind of like an insurance policy for me, in case I ever hit a stumbling block again, I wanted to be able to lean in and out as I need to, to take care of myself. Because when when I had what I described as my mental breakdown, I was working full time. I had just started a new job and I felt so powerless and overwhelmed. Well, I did anyway because of what was going on. But the fact that I felt like, oh my God, I've got all these bills to pay and I've just moved out of my house and in with my boyfriend and I, I've just started this full time job and I'm going to let everyone down and what what am i going to do how am i going gonna... to i i was so um dependent on all these other things that i just had this drive then to get really self sufficient and out, out of fear really um and out of wanting to protect myself and now i i set myself up to be able to work minimally, but really effectively. And I really like it. Um, I mean, there's definitely downsides. Like sometimes, you know, you don't know when a paycheck will come. And I'm obviously, there's times when I really do have to rely on my husband's more stable income, and he calls me the wild card. But I love being able to take my foot off the gas. It's, it's such a privilege to be able to take my foot off the gas if I need to. And then with my son, who is really highly sensitive, and he has had his own struggles with anxiety and separation anxiety has been so hard for him. And I was able to just drop everything like last year it got or earlier this year it got so bad the poor little thing it was really just so horrible for everyone and I had booked in all these talks you know for it was International Women's Day and I was meant to be giving x y and z public speaking things and like good money that I was saying I, I'm, I'm sorry like I have to I have to put my family first I physically couldn't make myself be available for it because he couldn't bear to be outside of my sight. Um, and even if I did and he was screaming outside the door, I just, I wouldn't have been able to perform or deliver what they needed anyway. So as much as I was like, off, oh, I'm losing out here. This is sort of fortuitously why I did set myself up in this way so that I could, if I needed to, if my son needed me to be able to be spending every morning with him trying to get himself into Montessori, I will be able to do that. Um, so it's all come from my own mental health struggles, and now it's a scaffolding around him as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and a bit of laziness.
1: Use laziness to your advantage. That could be the title of your next book. That's a, yeah. that, that, that's a golden title. I, just,
0: I love sleeping so much. Like I want to go to bed. I'm not a night owl. I'm not a morning person. I'm like a midday person. I love going to bed at like half nine, ten. Barry's like, why would you go to bed when you're not tired? I'm like, just to be in the bed. Like,
1: <laughs> why
0: would I? I'm not just going to waste the opportunity by falling asleep straight away. And then hate getting up in the morning, like hate it. And now it's great to be able to say like, yeah, let's do a podcast at 930 because I'm going to be downstairs having breakfast with my kid before that.
1: Isn't there a, a, a contradiction in that public speaking is the biggest cause of people's anxiety, but you do it a lot. Is that because you've now dealt with it or is it because you're constantly challenging yourself that you will own the anxiety?
0: So when my first book came out and it did really well, I was then asked like a lot of times to come and will you come and talk to this group of staff? Will you come and do this event? And I was like, oh my God. And I realized that I had gotten myself from a point of survival to stability. You know, I was just clinging on every day to being like, okay, I feel like relatively I can exist in the world again. My anxiety is not so much in the driving seat, but then it was like, now I have to level up and share my, what I've learned. And it was one thing being at home alone in a cozy room typing stuff where I felt safe and then suddenly having to go out face to face and yeah like people fear public speaking more than they fear death and I was one of those people um and I still would get like I I I haven't done it in a while now so if you don't if you're not doing it like I treat it as exposure therapy if you're not doing it really frequently though that anxiety can definitely creep back in um so I realized I had a lot of work to do to go from stability to success there's a I think his name is Zig Ziglar I remember a quote from him and I thought that this would be how I would progress through life from feeling like when I had hit rock bottom, he says, you go from survival to stability, stability to success, success to significance. And my first book was going from survival to stability. My second book was me going from stability to success, like not just existing, but trying to thrive. And that was all about confidence and dealing with day-to-day anxieties, like the fear of failure, imposter syndrome, confidence issues, and the going from success to significance well, I'm still working on that. It may not happen and it doesn't need to happen, but it's just, for me, it was an interesting progression of life. And significance could be personal significance. You know, significance could be having a family or having a good relationship or something. It doesn't have to be like you're significant in other people's eyes. When my anxiety was so bad, I, could, I couldn't I could even bear to step outside my door. Like I didn't leave my house for a long time. It was really so crippling. And I was, I, it was like I, was walking around having lost like an outer layer of skin. Like I was exposed and vulnerable and everything was louder and everything was scarier. Um, So to go from that to then standing in front of like group staff was such a leap for me. Um, And I just came up with my own ways of doing it. So like I wrote a piece on my Substack about this and what I do to, like I say, take my anxiety with me Again, I mentioned this already, but like the nature of what I'm talking about allows me to kind of joke and break the ice by saying like, oh, this is, you know, I'm anxious about doing this. You know, anyone would be. Now, a solicitor going into a law firm couldn't necessarily make that joke because you're like, well, I really need to depend on you to be super professional. But what I'm talking about allows me to to kind of to be a bit more human. And because I'm often telling my own story and then saying, look, here's what I've learned and here's who I've spoken to, that makes it a little bit easier again. And then it's just like the first few times I did it, I was shaken like a leaf and really believing that I, I couldn't be good until I got to a point where I didn't feel that anxiety. And now I feel the complete opposite because that fear like sharpens my senses. It, it helps me troubleshoot what might go wrong. So like, if I'm thinking this is going to go terribly wrong, I allow for that to happen. And I say, well, like, what if it does go terribly wrong? What actual things could go wrong? And let's think about those. What can we do to mitigate that? How could we step around that? Like, will there be a handheld microphone with a wire that you could trip over? Could it be Could it be a headset so you'd have your hands free for your notes? Something that has really helped me, and it's just just a security blanket, is I know people say, like, you no, know, don't over-prepare. No, I over-prepare, and it helps me feel, like, a little bit more in control. There's less surprises. I will write out what I'm going to say, like, word for word, and I will write in, and I guess because I'm a writer, I, I, it's easy for me to do this, I will write in a way that sounds, like, very conversational, very colloquial, and I'll even, like, write in little throwaway comments and jokes and softeners here and there. I will then print that off and I will read it so many times out loud to the point that I've internalized it so much that I don't need... It's like when I play the piano. I I can't do it without the notes, but I'm not necessarily looking at every single word. It's a confidence thing. It helps me feel secure. I know some people go in and they just have bullet points. I would... If, if my mind went blank and that happened game over. So for me, I probably could do it at this stage. But if I'm if it's just me with a microphone and I'm I'm in charge of delivering like a 45 minute talk, I just need to know that I have them there. And there still will be lots of times where I I'm not looking at them all the time because I know it so well and I'm making eye contact. And there's lots that I will kind of if I feel confident I might just go off on a tangent that's not on my notes, whatever. But giving myself that permission to say you don't have to be like a Barack Obama here. Like you can have your little crutches. That's helped massively. And then just doing it again and again and again, and then, you know, finishing and getting some feedback, which would really help it. COVID kind of screwed things up a bit though, because I started doing everything online and
1: Mm. they were
0: all webinars and it was definitely a lot less anxiety inducing because while I'm sitting here, like I am right now, but you don't, you don't have the feedback of people. Like I don't see anyone's faces. No one's kind of nodding. I'm like, is this going into the ether? I don't know if this is terrible. Mm. And you, and then when it's finished, they're like, okay, thanks so much. And you're like, was that terrible? So it's, you really do depend on getting that little bit of feedback. But I did, I remember I learned my lesson um, the hard way when I was, before my anxiety got really bad and I was um, I was working in entertainment and I was asked to go and introduce a movie screening. It was just a When Harry Met Sally screening, which is one of my favorite movies. And I was like, yeah, like Grant, I've, I know what to say, whatever. And I completely froze. I didn't prepare. I didn't have a single thing written down. I didn't know what I was going to say. And I was staring at all these faces, just like looking at me like, what is she going to say? Because they're not there like, yeah, come on, like we're all rooting for you. And I bottled it and I walked off the stage saying, I'm never, ever putting myself in that position again. If I'm not good at something, I don't want to do it. I don't want to, you know, that quote about like, if your kid is doing, getting a D in maths and an A in tennis, don't get a math tutor, get a tennis coach, like lean into where your strengths are. I was like, this is not a strength of mine. I'm not doing it. But then with the books, I was like, oh, Maybe I can grow and learn from it. Maybe I can try. Maybe, maybe I will enjoy it. And now when I do it, like God, it's the greatest buzz when it goes right. And you feel yourself connection with people, or you think about someone in the audience thinking, I could never do that, or wow, like she went from not being able to go out and buy milk to being able to stand here. And maybe that person is feeling that way right now. And they're struggling to even be in the office yeah if i can if i can bring it back to relating to one person or making a difference sounds real oprah but if if one person can come away from having listened to me talk and say do you know what thanks for that it made me feel like i actually can be myself and still there's still a place for me here in work i can my vulnerability doesn't need to negate my professionalism then that's that's to me is like kind of what i cling on to
1: with success comes the grudgery a lot of times how have you dealt with that
0: Most of the begrudgery I've had is, well, if it is begrudgery, it's just like nasty comments on social media, like nasty messages or things like that. There's definitely, there's a few really toxic websites. Well, there's one that I know of really toxic forum where people go and comment and they just, it's really abusive and like just pure bullying. And uh, I've fallen down the trap of clicking into it once or twice before. And I was physically shaking like a leaf. We're just not supposed to know what people think about us to that extent. And I have to come away from that and think that's just begrudgery. I'm sure, and I I remember I the, the journal that I brought out, someone made a complaint to the ASAI to me about that because how dare I be, you know, giving advice and stuff when I'm not an accredited psychologist, or whatever. And I had to go back and say, I'm not saying I'm an accredited psychologist anywhere. There's nothing in the book that says anything like that. It's just here's what I do, here's what helps me. And I had to kind of figure out that that was probably someone who does have all the formal training. I was like, why can't I do that? And I've, I have been really fortunate that I've been able to leverage one thing after another to be able to say, well, I can bring a journal out and because of my following, it probably will do quite well. Didn't do very well, actually. I had to, I just stopped production on it because it, it was just too much of a slog. So yeah, I just have to think, okay, well, I'm sure there will be some begrudgers and it definitely, when someone says something mean, there's no two ways about it it. It cuts right through all of the positivity. And it does so for a reason, because our Like I understand that my, my, I can't not feel that way because my brain and body is designed to like look out for threat. And if anything is going to compromise our survival or or be a threat to our survival, that's what our mind focuses on. So it's not about saying, oh, just don't like, let it roll off your back. Like it's not going to roll off my back. I let myself feel it. I kind of feel a bit crap wallowing a bit. And then once I sort of honor the fact that I do feel upset about something, I can then bring myself back to, okay, well, what's what's going right? What what am I grateful for? And um, I really am a strong believer that there's so much talk right now about positivity and it's really shoved down people's throats, like only oh, think positive vibes only. And I, I think there's a real upshot to what people might call it negativity or pessimism, but just really feeling how you feel, allowing for it, making space for it. And then- when you say, well, actually this did go crap and I'm not happy about it. And whatever the thing is only then when you've sort of exercised those stressful thoughts out of your mind, can you make space then for like the likes of gratitude to then be actually effective where you can say, right, well, this didn't go well. And well, I was upset about this, or, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't ideal, but what did go right? Or what, what can I take from it? What did I learn? And I have to just constantly bring myself back to like the messages that I get from people saying, maybe my daughter is." 17 and she's going through horrible anxiety and she read your book or she found your podcast and like you know it's changed her life or something like people have messaged me and told me that like they were in such a dark place that like hearing me talk about it made them think twice about you know harming themselves and stuff like that that's like an enormous weight of responsibility and if I can have a positive impact on someone in such a dark pit of despair and make them feel that like that there's there's always space for them in the world then I really have to try and not give way to the begrudgers. But it's easier said than done. You know, it really is.
1: What would you say is your best and worst financial decision?
0: Contrary to popular opinion and advice, and you're probably going to look about to me for this, but I read The Psychology of Money. And with that, my husband and I decided that, I know everyone says, keep your mortgage, you know, stretch it out. It's the best low interest thing, whatever, blah, blah, blah. We're massively driven by chipping away at the mortgage, um, where possible. So the way that our income works is that because I work for myself, I might get like little chunks here and there. Yes, we could maybe at some point like upgrade our car, but I again, it's that feeling of security. I want to like keep bringing that down, and paying off maybe if we can more than we um are required to, to bring down that interest and. You know, get to the point. Hopefully, younger than my parents got to or his parents got to, where we can own our house outright, and then again have more choice and more flexibility and freedom within reason. Obviously, like you still have to live, and um, you still have to. You can't just do nothing and get through those years. Um, But I think when a little chunk comes in for me, once I put my tax bit aside, I'll try and lop it off the mortgage. And we've we've been able to do that because we're on a variable rate. So that, again, is we're very fortunate there. Um, I think, yeah, I think also being very anxious about not having enough money for my tax bill <laughs> has gone in my favor. Um, Because I, I'm terrified of being like, you, you owe this much and like, you don't have this much. And oh my God, what would I do? So I have probably err on the side of caution. And then when I do pay my tax bill, then what's left over is like a little savings. My worst is that I do not have a pension.
1: <laughs> Wash your motives. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I know. And I'm like, I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. No, no, I need to do it.
1: Would you say there has been an increase in people's uh, challenges and people's personal development or mental health in the last number of years? And if so, what would you think has been the main cause?
0: Yes and no. So yes, I think we are dealing with a lot more these days. Like, I think we cannot underestimate the significance of COVID. And I don't think people have even we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of the impact that that had on us psychologically as a collective carrying the weight of worrying what's happening in the world is just like this background hum of anxiety all the time if you if you do things like environmental concerns and wars and stuff like that the news is just you can't look at it without feeling a surge of um of adrenaline or or cortisol i also think that because you mentioned there about choice because we have so much choice these days in this part of the world anyway You can, in theory, have it all, do it all. You can have the family. You can do the podcast, your side hustle. You can have the job. You can have the business. You can be the entrepreneur. You can go back and do the masters. You can do all this. Because we have so much more choice than maybe our predecessors had, we feel this pressure to do it all and take it all on. And really, you know, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. Um, And I think too many people try to do an awful lot and try to, even especially for women, I think, you know, where they're trying to be the kind of parent that's there and active but also like no I, I deserve to have my career i want to have my career and i want to have time for myself and i also want to do my pilates class and i also want to like have my little side thing with so many spinning plates the thing that tends to drop one one plate will drop and the one that we let drop is our well-being i think and that's where anxiety can kind of creep up in in a general sort of broad strokes idea um i think so i think for that reason yes it's cop it's We've we're dealing with a lot these days, a lot of a lot of pressure. If I think it's maybe improved, I think it's only because we're talking about it and people feel like, oh, it's okay to feel like this. This is normal. And maybe it's not going to get to the point of being so bad because they there's so much more information out there and they can like had I had access to the information now, these kinds of conversations when I was really bad, I probably never would have plunged to that depth. Um, and it's, you know, it's there's no shame. Well, there's not as much shame anymore in you know, saying, coming on social media, for example, and saying like, I've been having a really hard time with anxiety. Whereas when I was going through it, I just disappeared off it because you were only on social media then to like post a bikini photo from a trip to Bali. You know, there was, it was very, very show-offy, very curated, very sanitized. And there was no space or room for, nobody wanted to know if it, it made people feel deeply uncomfortable if you were being that honest and vulnerable. Whereas now there's um so much respect for that, I think. And especially in the workplace, I think it's gotten a little bit easier. But then on the flip side, the demands of work and the hours people are working at, it seems to have gone kind of crazy. So it's like, while, yes, we understand that your mental health might suffer, we also want you to keep doing it. So it, overall, I'd say, yes, we are struggling with it a bit more.
1: Who would be your main inspiration or hero?
0: Career-wise and like business-wise, I, I have a few friends who I completely trust and we actually i think there's a lot of talk about women supporting women but it's like only if it's not going to step on my toes and with my with my close professional colleagues we really do support each other behind the scenes and in front of the scenes and i can bounce ideas off them and they will give me honest feedback and i feel so charged after a conversation with each other about what can we do what can we streamline what what ideas are worth pushing on with and so there's a couple of a couple of friends um in my life who, who do that for me. And then overall for professional and life and everything, um, I don't think there's anyone I trust more to give me honest advice and who really helps, roots for me and believes in me as, as my husband. Um, and my mom as well. My mom is my best, my best friend. Um, but my mom only wants the best for me all the time. And, you know, she'll always kind of, she wants to protect me, whereas, uh, and so does, so does my husband, but I'm not his baby. So he can help, he can probably come at it from a bit more of a pragmatic approach. And um, I'm very fortunate that we're very aligned on things like our goals, our financial goals, how we want to work, how we want to live, what we want for our family, how we want to raise our son, like our parenting decisions that we're very, very, very aligned on. And he's the person I'm most excited to tell, you know, when things go right. And he's the person I feel safe as going to when things go wrong. And he kind of takes care of us with the, like with his, I say with his like boring job, <laughs> he allows me to go and, you know, see what might come to fruition. um And so, so not necessarily like famous people. Um, <clears throat> you're probably looking for me to say like diary of a CEO or something. No, no, I did just read about. his book though and, find, and I, it was incredible. Um, And I actually don't listen to the podcast. I don't have time to listen to anyone's podcast, barely listen to my own as I edit it. Um, but I, I learned an awful lot from him. Um, and there's a couple of women in media who, um, like for example, there's a woman called Farah Store. She used to be an editor of Cosmopolitan. She has since gone on to become a really senior person in Substack and just seeing how she's navigated through the changing media landscape, um, and her skill and her, her like journalistic um, abilities has always kind of stood out to me.
1: What would you say your blueprint for success has been?
0: Leaning into what I'm good at, really just following that, being very malleable and open to changing direction. This is just for me now. There's been never been like a set plan. If you feel really passionate about something, not not suppressing that because if you think something is good enough, chances are someone else might think it too. Having the, yeah, having the confidence to fail. There really hasn't been any strategy or plan. and just always being driven by what I feel passionate about or what I feel is lacking or needs to be said, drawing from my own experience, what thinking of what do I have to offer, What do I have to say? I'm probably the least blueprinty person you've had on. But I guess overall, it's it's how can I leverage what I've done, or what I'm doing to keep doing more of it? How can I keep doing what I'm doing because actually, it's not for me it's not about getting to a particular point in the future it's maintaining what i already have going on which is an amazing place to be i do have some goals and aspirations like i i would love for my sub stack to take off and um you know that requires just really like like the podcast chipping away at it really slowly letting time unfold for people to find you and want to hear your voice regardless of what you're writing about um I would love for that to become because that is just such a pleasure to do um I would love in a year's time to have like x number of paid subscribers for example although I, I I tend not to kind of focus on numbers like that because I have no idea what the gauge is but my friend who's also in the same boat she said she would hope that she would get to like a thousand paid subscribers by next year and I was like okay maybe I'll think like that as well I feel like there's a lot I could do in the kids space, like especially dealing with my own child who's sensitive and um, has struggled with anxiety. It's a natural evolution for me to go from understanding what I do about anxiety um, in my own life and with my books that were for adults and bringing that down into something at a, at a childhood level. I yeah, I would love to keep doing the podcast. I would love to do a couple of spin-off series that are more drilled in, drilling down into different things like owning it at work or owning it in your relationship or something that can give people who want a little bit more in, in one particular area. I'd love to keep doing talks. I haven't done one in ages and I think I've got one coming up that so that I'll be like really rusty for that. Um, and Yeah, just, I mean, I do want to make a lot of money, like, (laughs) because it, for me, like, I was talking about my, this with my friend the other day, what motivates me with money is that security of, like, because of what happened to me with my mental health, I want to be able to press pause on everything if I have to, and know that I have that comfort blanket of, well, we can pay our mortgage for a few months if all hell breaks loose, if I get sick again, or, and it's just, in a way, it's a good, it's a good way to be because I'm careful now, and I will, you know, I'll be a bit smarter with any money that I do get. Because, you know, you can never take your health for granted. You can never know when someone's going to need more support. I, I You know, if something happened to my husband or our, my child, that kind of motivates me financially, is our mm. is our well-being. And I think money is a big part of that.
1: So, Carolyn, I want to thank you so much for coming on. And there's a, a lot of draws on your time. Um, so to you, for you to give me an hour of your time is, is really greatly appreciated. And uh, keep doing what you're doing. I think that you produce a lot of great content. And I think you help a lot of people, which ultimately is probably as good a reward as you're going to get from anything and um, get a pension.
0: (laughs) Okay, sorry. Yes, no, I will. I'm going to do that (laughs) right now. Uh, But thank you so much for having me. I'll
1: see you, Caroline. Thank you all for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. For more information about me, John Driscoll and my day job as a financial advisor, please visit blueprintfp.ie. For more information on the podcast or to listen to other episodes, please visit the-blueprint.ie. Catch you all in the next episode. Take care.